to episode 263 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is your Tuesday edition, and I am Paul Spohr. Joined, as always, on Tuesdays by Eno Saris. Eno, you headed to the yard tonight? I am. Which one? San Francisco or Oakland? It's Astros-Giants. Oh, nice. I talked to uh, the Astros last week, though, so I don't know what I'm going to do today. Maybe try to talk to Brandon Crawford about his power explosion. And his hair. Uh, well, yeah, I was actually, I was actually gonna maybe ask about the product. That's interesting. I was, I was joking, but I, I'm cool with it. If you <laughs> throw it in there, I love Brandon Crawford. He's having a great year. Somebody I was really high on, panning out very nicely. Still not really getting the credit that he deserves at shortstop, as far as I'm concerned, on the fantasy landscape. I think everyone's kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, and 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 we're now. Uh, you know, four plus months in, and he's got an 820 OPS. At some point, you know, uh, 19 homers, you start you start trusting it. And you know, he had this history where he was kind of raking against lefties, uh, oddly enough, because because he is a lefty himself. But this year, he's really turned the tide, and, and righties are feeling the brunt of that 505 slug against them. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear you get some stuff from Crawford. Um, very interesting player there, and of course, the Giants have interesting players and. Maybe the uh, last time you talked to Houston, did you get a chance to speak to Correa at all? I did, and uh, I pitched a story on him to ESPN. So uh, my ESPN story this week will be Carlos Correa. Awesome. Uh, just, uh, you know, the crib notes. Um, actually, I, I shouldn't do that for the whole piece. But the, the one thing that uh, people might be interested in, uh, is the fact that he uh, he cited as one of his major adjustments coming into this season was um, really working on bringing the hands through in tight and okay. uh, being able to drive the inside pitch. And he says he does things like sets up a tee really close to his body and uh, and, and tries to get a bunch of swings in with power uh, on that on that uh, in that situation. And if you look at his home runs this year, he's hit two off of the plate inside. Including uh, the most obscene one in Texas, which totally explains what you're talking about, at least as the, the high-end example of, of how that work is paying off. That, that, that ball he hit in Texas that he just kept fair was like nine feet off the plate inside. It was so insane. So, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So, I mean, for Correa. I tried not to fawn. Uh, <laughs> my... My opener was, you know, we just ran a piece on our site that uh, declared that you might be the best shortstop in baseball right now. What did he say? <laughs> and he laughed a little bit. He's like, are you asking me? <laughs> I, I like that guy a lot. Correct. I like that, man. I just, I just wanted to tell you that we ran that. So. Hey, man. <laughs> just letting him know it's out there. It's out there in the ether, and it's not a crazy thing. Obviously, you know, I came – I still think it's too low, but by an edge. But but man, the fact that it's even a legitimate question speaks to what Correa has been able to do. Uh, you know, we got a bunch of news to talk about. We're just going to kind of bounce around and then finish up with your piece today on on batted ball changers and see what you found there. Let's start with uh, some big news. Interestingly enough, even though it's kind of a nondescript player, uh, an injury forced it. Koji Uehara got hit with a line drive, I believe, in, in the wrist, and he's done for the year. He was having a, a nice season, and you know we were wondering if he would get traded at some point. And, and so the Boston situation is one that, that, that has been looked at as, as who's the next in line. Doesn't look like Chinichi Tozawa is going to be the guy. He is heavily used, and, and it looks like he's showing some fatigue. So it's actually going to be Gene Machi, who they picked up off the waiver wire, speaking of the, the Giants. Uh, crazily enough, you know, he's been with the Giants and Red Sox. He's been with the Sox now for a little bit, I think uh, three, four games. I don't know, not too much. I don't know what to make of this. It's very weird. Uh, in his small sample with the, with them, Machi is getting a ton of strikeouts, but he's also getting blasted. 29% strikeout rate, but a 12% walk rate and a 7.36 ERA. Not having a great year after back-to-back great seasons with the Giants. What do you think of Gene Machi as a closer now? I do not understand this. I <laughs> uh, We have a lot of the Giants on in our house, and... You know, it's not like he came to the Red Sox and was amazing. 
No, this is not the 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 2012, or excuse me, 2013, 2014 version, who was pretty good. You know, he, he was ground ball guy, so it kind of mitigated his his modest strikeout rate. Didn't walk too many guys, didn't give up homers, and he and he was damn good for two years. But then this year, with them, 35 innings, only a 14% strikeout rate. He was at least at 20s before that, so he drops down to 14. Even the the ground ball rate falls below 50%. Uh, just below 49.6%, but he was in 54, 52 range, and then all the numbers went to hell. 514 ERA, 149 whips. So they got rid of him. You kind of understand that, uh, and and Boston picks him up. Like I said, just four games, three and two thirds innings, and now they're going to let him close. That seems insane to me. I know they're not going anywhere, but geez, don't you want to at least try to win those games in the ninth? I I don't think this is going to go very well. Yeah, and you have to wonder if there's other reasons. I mean, we've talked about how. Um, you know, saves become expensive in arbitration. Yeah. Um, and Tazawa's, you know, going to be under contract longer. I mean, I guess um, I should check that real he quick. Is, he, he, they have him next year, but but he's he's well, Machi, They might actually have Machi, you know, because um, Machi's not uh, a free agent yet. I don't think so. Let me let me just uh, check my work on that because I guess you could say, you know, they you know Machi fits the. The, the sort of framework that they have, which is, do you have a split finger and do you have okay command? But, you know, he's just the worst out of all the guys, even worse than Mujica. Yeah, like Machi could be with them until 2019. Yeah, you know, I saw if, that. That's crazy. If, if uh, So, you know, in terms of expense, I don't know. Tazawa's only with them one more year. How much more expensive would like five saves make Tazawa in his final arbitration year? He, he made two point two million last year. He'd probably make three or four million next year. And I don't think like you know another five saves is a big deal. So yeah, this this probably is a baseball decision. As much as I wanted to say that it must be a money decision, and you know when I look at Tazawa's you know player card, um, you know I see the sliders flattened out a tiny bit in the last uh, couple games. And, uh, and, you know, there's some weird thing going on with his, his movement on the slider. Um, and I see that his uh, fastball velocity is down off a peak. But, you know, it's 90, it was 93.9, uh, according to Brooks, um, which we would call, you know, probably like 92.9. Uh, but, um, you know, it was 93.9, according to Brooks, off of a peak of 95.2. Um, and that was, you know, the second month of the season. And other months have been 94. So, I you know. It it doesn't seem like he's that far off, and you know if they're looking at just results the last few days, Tazawa was my closer, and I, I and I don't think that it'll take that long. Like I think you know if Machi does what Machi's done with the Red Sox and with the Giants the last two years, which is hang a bunch of splitters and give up homers, then um, and that's what he did the first couple of games, unless. They had Wehara Tazawa, you know, you know, take him aside and and work on that splitter. I doubt there's going to be such a big turnaround that uh, that he holds on to the job. So just wait for a homer or two, and then Tazawa's probably in there. I'm mad I didn't get him in tout Tazawa in tout. And uh, if he much he makes it through the week, maybe I'll, I'll try to buy him um, next week. Tazawa allowed runs in seven of his first forty appearances in the first half. Uh, he's allowed runs in four. Uh, of nine appearances in the second half and so it's just this clustering here uh, of bad work that I think has got him uh, on the outside looking in for that job but yeah I don't think it'll take long I think Machi will kind of play himself out of it Tazawa is the guy I'd actually I'd actually look to speculate on because I just I just don't know that Machi is going to do anything all that great let's move on to Ian Desmond the dude is on fire since the all-star break with a 919 OPS and seven bombs in 92 plate appearances now he's making up for a lot of lost time in terms of uh, the the down period that he had it actually lost time would have been better it would have been better for you to have him on the disabled list than to do what he was doing in the first half with a 589 OPS and the same seven homers, albeit in 348 plate appearances. The crazy thing about his season right now is if he goes on a bit of a, a, a stolen base run, pun intended, I guess, uh, he could have his fourth 2020 season in a row. It's not out of the realm of possibilities. He's got 14 homers, nine stolen bases. SBs do come in clumps. It wouldn't be outlandish to see him inch closer to that 2020 mark if he continues to play well. Where are you at currently on Ian Desmond after the wretched first half and the strong surge to uh, kick off the second half? 
Bill Petty had some research on what he called volatility, and he basically set a baseline um, weighted on base average WOBA, and then he showed that certain players, uh, you know, oscillated around that baseline more than others. And basically, I think that it was linked um, uh, in in large part to strikeout rate, and that makes a lot of sense especially if you add sort of a low walk rate to that high strikeout rate. Now you're talking about a guy who isn't going to give you much value when he's not going well. And, um, and I think that's what you see with Desmond is that uh, he's a streaky player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's built on athleticism. And, you know, I don't like his, his plate uh, approach. And yet he still has the tools. He's 29 years old. He still has those tools. And he's still within this peak age range. And that's, I think we're basically seeing what is going to happen with Desmond as he ages. Is You're just going to have these, these, these moments of fallowness. These, these, these bad moments are just going to go longer and longer until, you know, one year he hits 205 with uh, 10 homers and three stolen bases. So, um, you know, I think uh, this is only predictable in that um, he's – not so old, you know, and that yeah. he's finally getting healthy. I mean, if you look at his stolen base attempts, he had one attempt in in uh, April, uh, in the entire month. Oh wow! And he didn't make it. Uh, his <laughs> first his first actual stolen base came April fifteenth, uh, and then he had a, a, an attempt the next day, and he didn't make it. So now at that point, he was one of three. You mean and May fifteenth? If he or because you said he was zero for one yeah, in yeah, April. Yeah, yeah. May May fifteenth, uh, and then May sixteenth, he he got caught stealing, and then there's not even another attempt all the way until June twenty first. That's crazy. And then there are still more zeros until July fifth. So on July fifth, he was two for four. Wow. And I think it's a good thing that since then you've seen more attempts. I mean, obviously. Absolutely. He, he's actually, you know, seven then you for eight cents. Yeah, seven for eight cents. You start, you know, you start seeing the attempts and they're clustering and, he, and he's doing that and this. And I think that's almost as good a sign as any that this guy is feeling better and he's, you know, feeling more athletic and that's a boon to his game. So, you know, I can't say that I know when he's going to hit homers. I think, you know, if I was using him in DFS or if I had found some other player in the meantime to platoon with him, I'd mostly just play him for the platoon advantage and just try to get him against lefties, I guess. Um, And, um, you know, it's not great that his ground ball rate, you know, has gone back up again after, uh, you know, quote unquote, improving in his peak seasons. It sounds like it seems to me like the bell curve is already um, going the other direction. Uh, so we're already seeing like a, a post peak Desmond, and um, you know that doesn't that doesn't bode well for him, you know, going forward. But it does mean that he's probably still usable for a couple of years, and he might be, you know, sort of a good back end pick next year, um, where maybe you covered yourself batting average wise somewhere else, and you and you just take a late MI um, for Desmond and and try to get you know, a, a 15 homers and 10 stolen bases out of him next year. It'll be interesting to see where he goes because uh, he's a free agent, you know, not having the, the, the walk year that, that he would have liked, obviously. But, uh, yeah, as, as we're talking about it now, and you mentioned how, how clustered the stolen base attempts are with the eight in his last 30 games, uh, if, he can, if he can rally – he, like I said, he can pretty easily still have a 2020 season, and you know the the rate stats aren't going to look good to go with it, but it is going to be kind of pretty interesting to see what happens with him. Depending on where he goes, you could be talking about a 2020 shortstop who could go relatively late because of those rate numbers, and I'd be willing to take a chance on it again. I, I was pretty high on him coming into this year, and obviously did not work out as planned, but uh, held. I had to hold him in a couple weeks because shortstop was just so barren. Jungle Gong ended up replacing him in, in, in a couple others, and obviously I have no qualms with that. So uh, if you stuck with Desmond, stick with it. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily run out to pick him up, but he's probably available in some leagues. So if you are if you are playing a failing shortstop, uh, it might be time to jump back on the bandwagon. Let's move over to Marcus Stroman, who you know is really 
pushing to make a, a return at some point this year. He threw off a mound on Tuesday, feels great, said the arm felt unbelievable. Thing of it is, we're dealing with an ACL. So this is not an arm injury situation. So that I think this gets more and more plausible as we continue to see, uh, you know, benchmarks reach like throwing off a mound and we'll see if he gets into rehab soon uh, he could end up being a piece late in the season for the Blue Jays more I think than than fantasy because it, it's even looking like he might relieve for them uh, so you know I'm not sur- sure that he's going to come out and be a stud for you fantasy wise but if you have a DL spot and you want to take a speculation in, in single season mixed leagues I did in a couple just because they're deep and hey who knows what happens maybe he ends up closing I don't know but where are you on Stroman right now as he works his way back in season for 2015 i mean he's basically in, in february right now i guess is, yeah that's is, fair is what i'm saying um it, it, most of the guys i talked to about spring training say that that the the most important thing for for spring training is, is the pitchers the pitchers getting stretched out and the hitters say you know you could you could cut because i you know i was asking people should we cut spring training and hitters say you know you can cut spring training in two weeks and i'd be fine you know i, I need my two weeks uh, and that's that coincides pretty well with the 15 day, uh, you know, the the you know, the the d- disabled list plus rehab, um, you know, 15 t- day situation. So uh, some of those guys are, are swinging right after they get put on the DL and, and get right back in there pretty quickly. So um, and you see some guys even skip like I think Hunter Pence even skipped rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, so, yeah, he was such a he was such a sneaky comeback. Yeah. All of a so sudden he was just in the lineup. Pitchers say they need the they need the month for to to stretch from you know an inning or two to to five or in six and and if you actually watch spring training it's very easy to see it you the first few starts they they pitch two or three innings at tops um, and then by the end they they get to about five or six right before the season starts so if if that's if that's the course of a month and he's just now getting on the mound um, you know the very best case scenario would be you know you could have four or five innings. Um, in late September, I would say, because we're talking about February plus March, really. That's um, fair. Yeah, so, so maybe there isn't as much potential impact as I. Thought. Well, that's 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 if they're stretching him, um, and I think they'd probably stretch him, right? Because I think he has more value to them, even if he just finally gets to that point. I think he has more value to them in four innings in October than um, if they bring him up, you know, for you know one innings. Time, one inning outings in September. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I definitely think he can make an impact. If he's back and, and throwing well and, and the knee is fine, I think he can have an impact for them. They don't have so many uh, steadfast spots that they can't make room for him. The pitching is better. It's pitching very brilliantly right now, both bullpen and starters. But yeah, I think I think Stroman is somebody that if they, if they deem him healthy, get some impact out of him. And then with the K-Rod rule, can't they possibly get him situated for the playoffs as well? Who they could use? Then you're talking about maybe using him as a, as a relief ace out of the bullpen. That could be huge too because they don't have outside of price a lot of guys that you're, you're really wanting to go seven, eight innings anyway, even if they're pitching well. You know, I mean, how many times do you in a playoff game do you really want Dickey and Burley going through a lineup? Um, you might say hey give us give us good five we'll get two from stroman and then go into the bullpen so maybe it's it's more for the blue jays and and, and the quote-unquote real baseball situation than fantasy but i'm just psyched that he's even possibly coming back S- sp holds maybe you know uh that's a, that's the kind of thing that happens in in, in certain leagues where you mm-hmm. want an sp eligible guy to give you holds and uh that's i think probably the most likely place that he can give you uh because if they're if they're if their goal is to get him to four or five innings by October, they're not going to want to displace whoever's their closer, you know, with Stroman for a couple weeks and then bring that guy back in. Bring him back in. Yeah. yeah. Especially so somebody like a, Osuna, a 20 year old, you don't want to play that kind of volatility. So I think it's a long, he's a long man. And, um, maybe by the very end, um, maybe by the very end, he's, uh, you know, maybe he gets a start in the last week. Howie Kendrick hit the DL for the uh, Dodgers with a hamstring issue. I believe he was running out, uh, played a first base, and uh, didn't go well. Strained his left hammy, so he's hitting the disabled list. Uh, I believe the original talk was this could be a long one uh, from Don Mattingly, I think he said. So 
Kike Hernandez jumps into the lineup more frequently, but also Jose Peraza, the prospect they got from Atlanta in that big heist where, uh, I, again, I don't even know why Miami showed up to that heist, but they, they got smoked, and Atlanta did okay, and then the Dodgers, <laughs> I thought, did fantastic, uh, just picking up all these pieces, even though they had to pay some money in the form of, like, Bronson Arroyo's contract. Who cares? But uh, So Kike Hernandez and Jose Peraza are the two pieces here to discuss. Uh, Hernandez is somebody who, you know, again, is probably going to get into the lineup more. He can play kind of everywhere. He played center field yesterday with Jock struggling. We could see that more against lefties, but I think he's going to get some right-handed work against uh, short, uh, excuse me, against right-handers at second base. What do you think of Kike Hernandez? And then we'll jump over to Peraza. You know, I think the, the, the real juicy story here is the possibility of Corey Seager coming up because Justin Turner can play second base for you uh, when he's healthy. And, uh, you know, he's right now dealing with an, a leg issue. Yeah, that, that, that uh, like, pimple that developed into something oh, awful and had to kind of be lanced off. Oh, Have there been pictures of it? I, I don't even know because I don't want to oh, look. That sort of stuff grosses me out. But the descriptions <laughs> of it were enough to get my stomach turned because, uh, yeah, apparently it was this thing that just evolved into some crazy huge thing that had to be removed, and all of a sudden you're talking a DL stint. That tells you uh, what really happened with this with this pimple that all of a sudden went haywire for Turner. But he's expected back pretty soon. Um, I think he's he's due off Wednesday, which is tomorrow, but uh, probably going to need a little bit more than that, so maybe the weekend. But either way, he's on his way back, Turner is, and he's been killing for them. And like you said, he can go a lot of different places. So you're saying maybe it opens up, maybe this Kike Hernandez-Peraza thing is short-term, and then when Turner gets back, he goes to second, opening up third for Seager. Is that how you see it possibly playing out? Well, you know, Kike is probably a better center fielder than Andre Ethier and probably also better than Yasiel Puig. So there's still, and, and the fact that he can play some second base, th- there's still room for him on this roster. And short. Uh, he played, he's played 15 games at short this year, second. I mean, he, he plays everywhere. Um, I, I'm a big Kike Hernandez fan. I, was, I hated that Kendrick got hurt. But I think with Hernandez uh, moving in, I think that that could be huge. Uh, if he gets the playing time, I think it all gets jumbled if you're right and Seager comes up because then all of a sudden I think that kind of closes off his playing time back to the here and there the way he's been all year. Right. So I think, you know, in the two scenarios, in the one scenario, Corey Seager comes up and they're going to probably play him almost, I mean, almost every day because, you know, why stunt his development? They've obviously, uh, they're obviously an organization that thinks about development and, and thinks about these things. So I think, um, I, I think that if he, Corey Seager comes up, he's the third baseman. Justin Turner is the second baseman. And, um, and then Enrique Hernandez is the defensive replacement at second base. So and, why wouldn't you just call Seager up first then? Why, why, why do Peraza first and then kind of wait for the Turner situation? Because I don't know. I, I, I think maybe they want to see, uh, A, how bad uh, Kendrick's situation is. They don't know yet. Okay. Uh, for sure. So if it, if, it's, uh, if it turns out maybe it's not as bad as they think and, you know, he's only going to be back in two weeks, then you don't really want to spend those uh, that Seager time, you know, that Seager arbitration time and all that. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to start that whole thing. Um, and, you know, I think maybe ideally they'd like to get through this year without bringing Seager up. I agree. Uh, so, so, so they're still holding out hope for that. But if, if things get tight in the division and the Kendrick situation is like that he's out until, you know, the last couple of weeks of the season or out of the season, then I think the, the calculus changes and you really want to win your division. If the Giants get it to one or two, Corey Seager can be the difference even because then you're talking about a game mattering. And the difference between Corey Seager and, and Enrique Hernandez on that sort of level uh, could turn a game. So... Uh, you know, I think uh, we'll, we'll have to see. For now, I you think we both agree Hernandez is the guy. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 big on him. Mattingly said he'll get the first shot at second base. I, I think you're right that there are some things that need to play out, and we really need to see what happens with Turner here. Like I said, he's eligible. I think 
Wednesday, but definitely not, or I shouldn't say definitely, but all the reports are saying that he's probably not going to come off Wednesday. So if that thing develops and they're saying, no, we need even another full week or whatever, that continues to open up the the, uh, the audition for Hernandez, and I think he'll do enough. He's somebody I'd pick up in a lot of leagues, probably not 10-team mixed uh, because the playing time is so uncertain, but really every other type of league, I think he can fit in somewhere. He showed some, he's shown some pop this year in his 139 plate appearances. Uh, I, I'm a big Kike Hernandez fan, maybe a little bit overhyped on him, but uh, I'm willing to take that risk because of the flexibility he gives, and I think he's going to get a chance to at least do something over the next couple weeks and show you something. Yeah, I talked to him actually um, in 2014, I think, and uh, right before he was traded away from the Astros. And that year, he he cut his swing strike uh, his strikeout rate almost in half um, in AAA for the Astros. And I asked him how he did it, and he basically said that he changed a toe tap. And of course, you know, since then, um, you know, things have gone up. But uh, I still count that as a positive because uh, there was an adjustment to be made, and he made it. And uh, and saw some good from it, and and that was also uh, coincidentally his best uh, power in the minor leagues. But you know, so you know, I don't think he needs to necessarily swing strike and strike out as much as he is right now. Um, so I believe that the, in the projections that get him back down to like 13, 14 percent swing strike uh, strikeout rate, and I think that makes uh, that makes him like a two sixty three twenty four twenty kind of guy um, that can you know hit you. Uh, 10 to 15 homers in the in the course of a full season and uh, steal you a couple bags. Yeah, I think it's kind of what people thought Justin Turner would do before he kind of had that before um, he exploded that power breakout. So. Yeah, and I wonder how much of of the 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 return of the strikeout rate for for Hernandez at 22 percent this year is influenced by the the short stints of playing time to where maybe he's trying to do more damage. Uh, I don't know. You know, I could be, I could be full of it there, but I'm talking like a mental th- situation. I'm only going to get two two plate appearances here. Uh, this is my one start for the week. I want to try to make a dent, and so maybe he's going more, selling out more for power. And and maybe you know it's working though five homers two ninety three average so nothing to really change right there but maybe as he plays uh, more of a long term situation he adjusts that brings the strikeout rate back down maybe it, it costs him a little bit of the pop but keeps that batting average high so I think we could see a lot of different things with him uh, like I said I'm a Kike fan but let's talk about Peraza he was a stolen base guy in the minors big time and there was a lot of speculation that maybe he would come up and be a be a piece for the Braves this year at second base but. Jace Peterson kind of ran with that job early, and I think the momentum of it kind of kind of allowed him to keep it, even though he hasn't been all that great. And then all of a sudden, Peraza's in this deal. What do you think of Jose Peraza? I know the playing time will be scant, but let's talk about his skills at large. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder what they think for you know about him long term and what their what their idea is with her. I mean, I guess Jock, you know, may move off of center. Um, maybe they think that I guess next year's second base is not necessarily occupied by somebody who's under contract. Um, That's true. so maybe they want to put him in the mix with Enrique, uh, with, uh, and maybe Guerrero, but I think the vote is gone on Guerrero, Manning and middle infield slot. So, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, maybe Peraza's, uh, you know, real chance is going to be next spring training, but, uh, they're obviously going to give him some look, and I would guess it was as a, a base runner. And, uh, you know, they recently had this thing called a speed camp where they brought in all the guys uh, that can't play baseball but are really fast. And, you know, your Joey Gathright kind of guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, great name, by the way. Great, great, yes. great throwback name there. And uh, so they brought in all those guys, and, you know, they got basically like football players and basketball players and just guys that um, – that, uh, Hadn't been really shown the ability to play uh, baseball. Kill, killer athleticism can't really play. You know, Lorenzo Cain was that before he turned into a star level player. Right. I, I think they, you know, the idea is they they want their own Terrence score. So, uh, you know, that I they they got a couple guys out of that, and they're in the minor leagues now. But you have to think that somebody like Peraza, if he can show the ability to steal bases now, is going to be that guy. So I doubt. There's a ton of uh, fantasy value here that we're talking about because, you know, how many leagues is, is Terrence Gore owned in? Yeah. But uh, some of you guys can be desperate for steals, um, and, you know, there's got to be some rubric. I mean, you're just going to have to watch, you know, the playing time, um, you know, as it happens because 
you know, Enrique Hernandez is uh, a righty, and um, and Jose Peraza uh, is also a righty. So it's not uh, obvious how how this will break out, other than you know, watch for him as a late defensive replacement or base running guy, and maybe he'll end up being Terrence Gore. I don't, you know. There, there might be a league where that's that's pretty useful. Sure. Uh, by the way, you mentioned Alex Guerrero in passing. I think he uh, plays into that phenomenon I'm talking about a little bit with the trying to do too much in his limited playing playing time because he probably got a little bit full of himself after those nine homers through May. And, and, and I imagine that he's swinging for the fences just a bit too much, and he's been a disaster since the start of June. So I wonder if he's also somebody that, again, if given full playing time, would kind of change his game a little bit and, and, and show out a little bit better than what we've seen over the last three months. Let's move on and talk about uh, Mr. Chris Davis with a C. He's absolutely raking right now. 11 homers just in the second half for Chris Davis of Baltimore, just out of his mind, really kind of showing that, um, you know, 2013 is still that high watermark of excellence. But uh, for those that thought he could have tons of power with kind of lower batting average because he's going to strike out a ton, which is what actually what I thought after that 2012 season, I, I, I thought, okay, another 30-something bombs but with like a 250 average. Well, he's got 30 bombs right now with a 252, so he's probably looking at 40 bombs. I wouldn't even be surprised if he hit 10 more the rest of the way. That's how crazy he's been. But where are you at on Chris Davis uh, of Baltimore as he continues to rake and show that he's got power if he, as long as you can take the batting average hit. And it's not even that bad. 252, I, again, I, I, would, I would take a 230 with this much power, to be honest. You know, he might be the poster child for volatility in terms of, you know, strikeout rate, uh, low walk rates, you know, low, low sort of natural patience, I would say, low, low natural selectivity in that, um, you know, the walk rates didn't come until pitchers were afraid of him. And... Um, you know, so I don't, I, I, I sort of throw my hands up in the air on this guy. I mean, he's uh, 29 years old. If I was going to be signing him to a major league contract, it would have to be a short one. So, you know, if you're talking about keeper leagues and 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 looking to the future and and what's he going to do next year, I wouldn't um, want to get locked into him for you know three four years. There's some keeper leagues where you have to do that. I wouldn't want to do that. And um, you know, anytime you see these large stretches, it's like the Ian Desmond phenomenon. I just feel like that those large stretches are only going to get worse and worse, and at some point they're going to engulf the whole season. But uh, he obviously still has a lot of power, and um, you know, I, especially in on base percentage leagues, I would uh, I would you know draft him in the first what three rounds next year. Yeah, th- th- probably in an OBP league for sure with uh, with that kind of pop because he, he's going to get to 40 home runs and hit 250 this year. And it's, it's, there's not even, a lot of people who do that. Even last year, uh, he still had a 300 on base despite the 196 average, and so you got 26 bombs in 127 games. So yeah, that power is just so valuable, and as long as you are an OBP, you avoid that that colossal risk of a 196 plate uh, batting average for 525 plate appearances so yeah I, I you know only one month of a, of a sub 826 OPS this year and he still had seven homers in that month so he's he's been great really been been really impressed with his rebound and I don't know how much of it is related to kind of getting his TUE back his therapeutic use exemption for the Adderall but uh I thought that that was going to make him a better player because he was on it in 2012-2013, didn't have it last year, kind of falls apart, gets it back this year, and, and, and gets better. I don't know. It seem, That seems to have an effect. I don't know if it's correlation or causation there necessarily, and it, I think it would be too hard to tell specifically. But as long as he's allowed to have that, have the Adderall, it seems like Chris Davis is going to be good Chris Davis more often than not. Let's talk about Carlos Gonzalez, who's about the only guy who's hitting for more power right now than Chris Davis. He has a 900 slug since the break. <laughs> you know, a 900 slug. A 900 OPS would be would be great. And he's got a 900 slug. He's just out of his freaking mind right now. The thing of it is with a guy like this, I don't. You know, if you stuck with him. Congrats, by all means. You deserve the credit for it because you sat through two god-awful months. But those who kind of moved on, I don't know that I blame them. 
when you're talking about uh, how poor he was, a 627 OPS through May, you know, the, the lefty, uh, the inability to hit lefties made him a platoon guy. He's always had kind of road issues. I just don't know that I would blame anybody after giving him two full months and, and, and the results weren't there. But he's been absolutely amazing since 22 homers since the start of June, including 11 in July when he had a 1278 OPS. Uh, like I said, just raking 900 slugs since the break. 838 OPS on the road this year, you know, now 13 homers, both home and away. What do you what do you what's your thoughts on Carlos Gonzalez right now as he has this amazingly hot run? He's probably still a platoon player. I mean, De- definitely. I mean, 463 OPS against lefties. He, he is just absolutely obliterating righties right now. 1026 OPS for the year. 24 of the 26 bombs. You know, his career line against lefties, which includes, uh, you know, a lot of great years or decent years at least, and has a thousand uh, or 1100 plate appearances in there. Um, you know, that that career line is even 12% worse than league average. It's 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 okay maybe for fans of uses because it has some power. 268, 309, 442. Um, that's his slash line against lefties for his career. But, you know, that's, you know, that also includes the years um, like 2013 when he was 20% better than league average. And 2010. And he was, yeah, 35% better than league average and, and killed it. You know, this year he's as WRC plus against lefties it is six, <laughs> and it wasn't much better last year. Six, I don't know what his WRC plus was, but six, yeah, oh. six thirty five OPS. So it's been a nightmare for two years. So I agree with you. If you get too hung up on that on that full line against lefties, it's good. I think it's going to mislead you because he's just he's not that same guy. Cargo against lefties, but absolutely dominating right handers. What are you doing with him next year now? If we if, let's just say obviously he'll slow down a bit from this pace, but let's just say now that we're obviously looking at you know barring a, a collapse at least a thirty a low thirties homer season here, um, you know he's hitting two eighty one. Let's just say he stays there and ends up with you know eighty five ninety ribbies. So you got a thirty something homer, good average, good ribbies, uh, decent runs. I, I don't know if I don't know if they're going to be great. I think he might push his way up to what. 75, 80-ish, but what, what, what are you doing with Carlos Gonzalez next year now? Let's assume he's still in Colorado, and then you can give a caveat if he's traded uh, out. I mean, I, 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 that's where I'm not comfortable because... you don't think he'll be there. Because I think he's making himself more marketable now. That's I true. I mean, I think he's, he's making the contract seem less onerous, and he's basically making himself more easily to... Easily tradable, especially with his home away uh, home run numbers that you cited. It's an easy thing for a general manager to cite in a conversation, and so I think that they already shown that they that they're um, you know that they that they're going to uh, tool retool for the future. And I think that Reyes and and Cargo are both gone this off season, and um, you know his away his away career slash line is two sixty eight three oh nine four forty two. And um, that sounds a lot, actually, like his his, you know, his lefties. I just redid his lefties line. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not his away numbers though. are no, it isn't. Two fifty eight, three fourteen, four forty seven. It's actually very close. Uh, seven sixty one OPS away, seven fifty two against lefties. So if you think he's unusable against lefties, and um, you know he's not too far away from being unusable uh, away from home. But I guess if you extrapolate that out, it's a one eighty nine ISO with a two sixty batting average away from home. Strikeout rate goes up, walk rate goes down, power goes down. I think, to me, away from home, he's a 260 hitter, 310 on base, um, with 20 to 25 homers. And, you know, the stolen bases are, are, you know, in in full on decline. So, uh, you know, give him, you know, two or three again. So uh, maybe maybe four. So I think that is the kind of player that you want to get in a keeper league when everybody else is reaching for non-top ten prospects. You know, if someone if someone's about to in a keeper league go and draft, you know, Juan Moncada, and you know we're talking now about like a nineteen-year-old in in A ball. Mm Then I'll take Carlos Gonzalez because he's going to be my third outfielder, my fourth outfielder, my fifth outfielder, my utility guy, and he's going to have some stretches where I put him on the bench. But in the end, I'll probably get 
you know, 260, 270 average and 20 homers out of him. And in this day and age, that's useful. But, you know, relying on him, you know, relying on him to stay in Colorado, relying on him to continue doing this. He's, uh, you know, going to turn 30 next year and he hasn't aged particularly gracefully and he's had health issues, only top 600 plate appearances once in his career. Um, you know, all those things add up and all those things are meaningful and, you know, they make him not a good keeper almost in any sort of situation unless it's dynasty and he's one of your, you know, lesser keepers. I wouldn't draft him based on this at all, but uh, I bet Cargo, within the next couple of years, the reason I wouldn't do it because I don't know when it's going to come. I just feel it's kind of a feel thing. I think he's going to have a a resurgent stolen base here at some point in the next couple of years, similar to Brandon Phillips, who looked like he was all done stealing. And then there's just going to be some year, maybe next year, where, uh, where Cargo's feeling healthy and froggy and gets 17 stolen bases randomly, and that, and that super pumps his value uh, fantasy-wise. Again, wouldn't draft based on that or anything because it, it's speculative and I don't even know when, but that's how weird stolen bases can be. Go look at Brandon Phillips. Had seven combined from 2013 to 2014 with well over 1,000 plate appearances, upwards of 1,100, and then has 17 this year and 420 plate appearances at 34. So I think we well, might... Well, there's that health component, right? So exactly. maybe... And, and, and since there have been so many health issues in Colorado, um, you know, with respect to pitchers and, you know, and hitters, and the fact that, you know, I cited this before, that the, the best um, home field advantage in, in any sport is the Denver Nuggets on the second night of a back-to-back, which I think suggests that there's a recovery component to, to the high altitude, which I think, you know, if you talk about, you know, uh, uh, Marathon runners training at high altitude and and all the recovery and the oxygen, you know, getting to your muscles, all that stuff. Uh, Maybe, you know, he gets to sea level and, uh, you know, finally, you know, has that year where he's healthy all year. Yeah, stays healthy and feels good to run. You know, and the the power rate, like the power rate stats go down. Maybe he manages to stay, you know, 25 to 27 homers by just being out there more and maybe he gets it up to, you know, 10 stolen bases again because, you know, everything's recovering better. I mean, yeah, that's definitely not impossible, but you know, what team is going to really bet uh, on that? No, uh, that, that, that's, how, that's why I said it's going to be something that I'll look at after the fact and say that doesn't surprise me, but I can't make any fantasy beneficial move yeah. from it. You know, I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. Other than pay for, the guy who hits 260 with you know 20 plus homers and five stolen bases, pay for that guy. And uh, when other people you know think, oh, he's out of Colorado now, he won't be useful at all. Uh, you know, he's just going to be hurt all year. You know, pay for the guy who's going to hit 260, 20 homers, five stolen bases, and then you know then you reap the rewards when he has a surprising healthy season. Exactly. And if he and if Cargo went somewhere neutral or worse for a park standpoint, I could see him even after a great you know, what should be a great season by the end of this year. Even after that, I could see his value getting depressed because everyone freaks out that he leaves Coors. And, uh, you know, I don't think he necessarily collapses out of Coors. Anyway, let's move over to Kyle Schwarber because he's he's on one as well. I mean, just absolutely killing it. The dude does not slow down. He's a multi-hit machine, something that I've, I've recognized as a uh, somebody I'm using heavily in DFS. I feel like I get two hits every night from this guy, even if he's not going yard. But he's been doing that pretty frequently as well with six bombs already in his first 105 plate appearances as a major leaguer. Kyle Schwarber is catcher eligible, which definitely spikes his value substantially. But where are you with him right now in, in terms of how he ranks among catchers? Uh, it was hard to rank him coming into the second half, the midseason projections, because we had no idea where he was going to play. And I think a couple guys didn't even bother to rank him. I had him uh, 26th, I think, initially with the idea that if he got called up, I would alter it. And then I put him 16th when he was called up. So where are you on Kyle Schwarber right now as he continues to just rake? And Joe Madden says he's going to play even when Montero's back. Yeah, you can tell he's he's going to play because they're mixing a lot of left field appearances for him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, I think that uh, led me to drop Chris Coughlin in a couple of deeper leagues because I just thought, you know, 
Coughlin's not going to be much, very much use if Schwarber's out there. Haven't they been shifting him into the middle infield though? So maybe you can go back and get him now if he's if the Starling Castro thing is happening. Because I thought that they were saying Coughlin might get some second base work with Castro on the bench and um, Addison Russell over at short. So you know that that's just something to consider again in the deeper leagues. I, I, only six appearances there so far, but maybe that's a way to keep Coughlin uh, in the uh, lineup. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, but back to back to Schwarber. Anyway, you know, someone had me trying to decide between him and Yasmani Grandal in a keeper league. Ooh, and, that is tough. Uh, I think yeah, you know, that's when you start to have a real hard time because you know you have your Buster Posey, and uh, then you can pretty much say everybody else. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, and so I think it's it's not it's not crazy to start pushing in these younger, less uh, established guys up into that two, three, four uh, spot. And, um, you know, the one thing I guess I would say is that Schwarber has more power upside, but Grandal makes more contact. Um, so you might, uh, in the future, project Grandal into a better batting average, better, you know, on-base percentage, and, uh, you know, Schwarber into, into better uh, home run rates. And, you know, even though he's had great BABIPs and probably hits, I mean, we probably, we know he hits the ball hard. Schwarber. You don't have to look at the number for that one, Schwarber. Um, you know, catchers don't traditionally have good BABIP, so it's hard to, to push that number too high. And, um, you know, now that we know he's going to play every day, I think that you could treat the projections as almost a baseline. I mean, they're going to – they discount everything because, you know, not everyone comes from the minor leagues and is the same guy that were in the minor leagues and the major leagues like mm-hmm. Schwarber. So, um, you know, in fact, most people don't. And that's the healthy way to bet. But, um, you know, given that he's already walking like he did in the minor leagues, I don't think that he necessarily needs to regress to, you know, 9% walk rate. And, um, you know, given that he's hitting as, for as much power as he did in the minor leagues, I don't think he necessarily needs to regress to a 190 ISO. So now we're talking about a guy who's going to hit 260 to 270, worst case. He does strike out a fair amount. Going to have a, you know, 350 on base percentage and is probably going to hit – you know, 10 more homers, maybe even, I mean, it's it's crazy as that sounds, uh, you know, he has the type of power to hit five homers a month. That's the thing, the way he's raking, it's not out of the realm of possibilities, but like you said, if you just use the projections as kind of a baseline, you're still looking at about six homers. If you kind of average the three together, zip says five steamer says eight depth charts, say seven Schwarber's absolutely ridiculous. If I were to go back and update the rankings again, he would crack the top 10 at this point. Um, just been really impressed with what he's been able to do between that Grandal Schwarber uh, gambit there. I would go with Grandal, but it, it's really close, and I wouldn't fault anybody for going the other way with that at all. Let's talk about another young guy uh, out in Washington, Michael Taylor. He's got four homers and six stolen bases since the break. He's pacing toward a 15-homer, 20-stolen base season, and the reason he becomes more intriguing now is it's looking like Denard Spann might not return for the rest of the year, so that playing time opens up, and even though we're not dealing with very good rate stats from Taylor, he's got a 243, 287, 375 triple slash. The fact is he's still doing the power and speed situation. Uh, he's, he's contributing to both of those, and the playing time is going to be there um, that you kind of like him, even with a 32% strikeout rate. There's obviously flaws in his game, but there's a lot of upside that we're seeing in flashes as well. Where do you stand on Michael A. Taylor out in Washington? I, I called him, I think it was in a chat or something, I called him uh, Jock Peterson with half the patience and half the power. That's hilarious and, and accurate. But, yeah, so uh, someone said, tell us how you really feel, which uh, I guess it means uh, I think he's uh, no good. But, I mean, Jock Peterson is a very athletic guy. And, uh, you know, he happens to have a better eye and he happens to have a little more power. But to to get anywhere close to him in a comp, I think, is, is actually flattering. So, um, you know, I don't know. People seem to sour on people quickly, and maybe people have soured on Jock Peterson right now. But they need to understand that this is a guy built, you know, Jock Peterson, if he was another race, we'd be talking about how this guy has all the tools and is very toolsy and athletic and just needs to figure out the last part of his game. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think uh, that people don't understand that, that that's I mean, Jock Peterson's even said in, in pieces I've read 
Uh, I think there was an excellent one where he talked to Tyler Kepner about how he used to just dominate based on physical tools and that, you know, no matter what position, you know, he was always the best player on the field in Palo Alto and, and, and things like that. And now he has to really kind of refine what he's doing. Uh, and that fits with what I've what I've heard personally from the player, which is nothing um, in the past. So, uh, you know, I think he, he needs to brain up a little bit, and I think we'll see that. I don't know that I – I mean, Taylor has had some better walk rates in the minor leagues, and, you know, Alex Chamberlain had a great piece saying, you know, we don't need to take for granted that he's going to have the 6% walk rate, uh, considering that he – you know, had above average walk rates in the minor leagues most years. Yeah, he's shown a lot so. more. And in that piece, Chamberlain compares him not only to Jock Peterson, but also George Springer, Steven Souza, Javier Baez, really toolsy guys who strike out a ton but show both power and speed. That leaves a lot of intrigue in the fantasy circles. So that's a great piece. I'll link to that for folks to read. It's a, He really goes in depth comparing Michael Taylor to his contemporaries. Um, and this is just a situation where fantasy and real life are a bit different because, again, those triple slashes are pretty bad, 32% strikeout rate, but you're looking at double digits, homers, and stolen bases right now. It's hard not to have some interest in that guy, even in a mixed league as your fifth outfielder. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I guess I, if I sound negative, and obviously someone uh, claimed I did, um, I guess it is, you know, sometimes we get colored by the situations in which we own these players, and I have them in an on-base percentage league. And oh, and that's not good for you, 287. I mean, it's, it's an 18-teamer, so he, I'm not dropping him or anything, and I can definitely plug him in late in a week if I'm losing on-base percentage anyway, or I'm way out in front, so I, I have some use for him, but to me, he seems like just like a useful uh, fill-in piece, and I'm not sure he's much better than that, especially since he's a righty. Um, you know, it's not uh, it's not very easy to get the platoon advantage and put him in the right position to um, to really succeed and, sure. and get the most out of him. But um, and and so I would be uh, I'd be probably maybe more conservative with him than some. I would say. I the deep the, the shallowest league I'd want him in probably is a 15 teamer and I I think ideally I'd want him in util slash bench and I think I would want to try and play him against lefties. Does that? Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. You know, now that we have these daily projections on our site, you know, you can see uh, you can see how much a, a, a his value is on a, on a daily level. And today against a righty in Los Angeles, I think it is it Granky. Uh, it uh, is. It is. Okay, so well, it's a good it's a good righty, so that that changes things. But hey, you know there are a lot of good righties in this league, and so Michael Taylor's value on a daily site, um, you know, you know against um, uh, against a good righty is a dollar in FanDuel and four dollars in DraftKings. It's not good. No, it's not great. Um, what about long term? Does your conservatism on him expand long term, or do you see some development here with regards to the walk rate that you mentioned, um, and just maybe some evolution where he cuts down the swing, maybe stops striking out thirty plus percent of the time? Uh, he has shown that he can do that in the minors, but he also had some uh, a couple stints where he was up in that thirty percent. Although it was actually just one uh, extended stint, it was his Double A season, four hundred forty one plate appearances back in twenty fourteen, where he struck out thirty percent. Usually was in the mid 20s what do you see on taylor long term well i mean he's young he's 24 years old and so i would predict you know aging curves would predict that he betters his strikeout rate you know two or three years in a row uh going forward i think you know he might get it down to 28 or 27 uh for a couple of years uh but the swinging strike rate predicts uh issues in that department i mean 15 16 percent that's legally leading type stuff that's dirty and it's not good. It, he just doesn't have the greatest, uh, you know, natural hand-eye coordination. There's only so far you can go with that. And you know, sometimes it does. It's not good actually to be a lot more patient because then you get yourself into two-strike counts, and then you're much more likely um, to to miss on a strike with two strikes on you and get a strike out. You know what I mean? Yeah, like sometimes he doesn't have the contact to shorten up yeah. the swing and two strike counts and actually put the ball in play. No, that, that's a great point um, in, so, in terms of the evolution of a strikeout rate. Yeah, so I, I don't know. In this league, you know, it's, a, it's like keep 28 or something in this 18-teamer. 
And so I may end up keeping him just because, you know, there's an outside chance that next year he walks 9% of the time. I mean, listen, you know, high A, 9.3%. High A repeated, 9.5%. Double A first time, 11.3%. And then the combined walk rate in 80 plate appearances in triple A over two years is over 12%, over 13% probably. So, um, you know... There's there's a possibility that he walks more in the future, and so that's on base percentage. I'm talking too much on my own, on my own league. In general, I think you know going forward, he'll have to be he'll have to peak to get to 250. But if he peaks at 250, you know 25 25, that's not that's not impossible. And mm-hmm. 250 25 25, uh, you know I hate to we always go to Mike Cameron, but it, it's Mike Cameron S. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Mike Cameron was a damn fine player for quite a while. Uh, you know, let's finish up and talk a bit about a piece that you put up today uh, for the change. It, it's about batted ball changers, and, and you specifically highlight Jung Ho Gong, Christian Yelich. Talk about the piece. What what would you set out to do, and what were some of your findings? Uh, well, you know, I think a lot of times we talk about ground ball rates early in the season because. You know, it's one of those things that stabilizes quickly, and then we just sort of forget about it and uh, and move on. And I just wanted to revisit it because you know we have more than one sort of quote unquote stable sample set for for ground balls. So you know we can compare July to early season and actually be comparing two decent chunks of information when it comes to ground balls. So I just wanted to see. You know who's who's changed their ground ball rates and uh, and and you know how that's uh, how that's helped them, and I think that you know it's mostly useful for players that we have less information on. So it's nice to see that Robinson Cano has gone back to you know the kind of uh, ground ball fly ball mix that he had in, in New York. Um, he, he'd gone away from that and been a big ground ball guy, but in July he's back to sort of forty percent ground balls, back to where he was. In New York, and he's and he's hit, you know, he's hitting the homers because of it, and um, you know, I, I don't really see any sort of negative ramification. His BABIP is good, his ISO is good, his pop up rate is good. So I think maybe Cano is like, screw this. I, I think maybe I thought I had to hit ground balls because I was in Seattle, but I can hit it out of here too. So, uh, but in that case, we're, that we have a lot, we have much more data for Robinson Cano and Brian McCann and Mark Teixeira and. Angel Pagan. I don't really Elvis Andrews. I don't really care that Elvis Andrews is hitting, um, you know, fewer ground balls. In fact, that makes him even worse in my eyes. Uh, it really does. I mean, that, that what 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 is that? What is the line for uh, for Willie Mays Hayes in, in Major League with your speed hit the ball on the ground or something to that effect? I mean, that's that's Elvis Andrews in a nutshell. What do what are you doing trying to hit the ball anything but on the ground? Utilize that speed. That's not. Yeah, good. he's got a nice one thirteen ISO for his troubles and. Uh, <laughs> In, in July for, for hitting it in the air. And and also for Mike Moustakis, who's kind of in between. We have a decent amount of information on him, but he's also changed recently. Uh, I count it as a negative. He seems to be backsliding into his old uh, pull-happy, everything-up-in-the-air uh, yeah, way. It's, it's getting bad, and his batting average down to th- 272. There isn't a ton of power there to kind of offset it. So his, his, And that was the... I mean, yeah, what were you saying? I was just going to say his season is still going to look like um, an, an approved, not not necessarily breakout season, but a better one probably by season's end because of how wretched he was before that. But it's definitely not pacing toward the, the high-quality season it was looking like back in April, May. Yeah, and you know there was the risk that going oppo would reduce his power potential and, you know, there's also on the flip side, this could be just him reacting back to maybe they're pitching him more inside again because he, he showed them he can go the other way. Um, but, um, you know, pull, pull power Mike Moustakis is not that exciting. I mean, he, you know, for, for all the pulling and hitting the ball straight up in the air, he's no Jose Bautista. So, um, you know, I will just uh, give Mike Moustakis a pass and say he's, only just a little slightly better than I thought he'd be in 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 sum and total, and uh, still does not really get me that interested. Um, but uh, you know, some players that did get are do have my interest and have changed in a good way recently would be uh, Christian Yelich, uh, Adam Eaton, Colton Wong, 
And uh, you can throw Brian Crawford in there, even though he's a little bit older. And these guys uh, have all slowly, slowly, slowly hit fewer ground balls and slowly, slowly, slowly uh, shown more power. And um, Talk to me I about think- Eaton specifically, because he, he's, he's on a run, and this was a guy who did lo- really like coming into the year. And again, it was uh, – I mentioned the cargo situation where if you gave up, I totally got it because uh, he was taking so long to really do anything. I think Eaton was an easier case to give up on because he, is, he was equally wretched early on and did not have anywhere near the track record of a Carlos Gonzalez to make you say, well, i got to stick with this. But he's rallied, and all of a sudden, Adam Eaton has nine bombs, 11 stolen bases, and a 269 average. His season's looking a lot better. So what, what did you see anything in him specifically uh, that, that's helping him with this power, just a shift in his batted ball profile? Is there anything else in his approach that's helping him? Well, you know, the thing about Adam Eaton is and I sometimes I hate when I hear these things, but you know, these sort of old school baseballisms that um, seem like they're total BS. But, you know, sometimes they have a, a kernel of truth. It's, it's one thing that I've learned uh, going into the clubhouse and, and just sort of learning these things, that there are a lot of times where the sabermetrics just haven't caught up and haven't been able to study necessarily um, these old school things. And, and, and you, you can even see sometimes when, you know, there are new pieces and, and, and new findings in sabermetrics where they're like, well, turns out, Whoops. Maybe they were right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, what I heard was about Adam Eaton was he didn't know what kind of player he was, uh, that he was a, a tweener, and that he that he didn't know if he was going to be a slap it on the ball, uh, you know, speedster guy, or if he was going to have some power. And I think that's a that's an honest decision that people make. You know. Yeah, I agree. And he came into the he came into the league with a sixty three percent ground ball rate. You know. Uh, and he'd stolen, in 2012, 63% ground ball rate, and he'd stolen 38 bases in the minor leagues. I think probably the Diamondbacks were telling him, yes, pound it into the ground and run. Be that guy. Um, but then his speed has never really materialized on that sort of elite level. And, you know, he, had, he, had, he stole two out of five, and then five out of seven in like a half season. And then last year, a career high 15, but he got caught nine times. I mean, I don't think that he's a burner in the classic sense. He's more of like an Aaron Rowan gritty center fielder um, that uh, can do a little bit of everything and run into the walls for you. So um, I, I don't think that uh, – I think last year he probably was like, Jesus, uh, I beat in the ball 60% of the time, and I beat the ball into the ground 60% of the time, and I got a 362 on base percentage with you know, 15 stolen bases to, to show for it. And, yeah. um, you know – I think that I can probably do better than a 101 ISO. He did better than that in the minor leagues every year, way better than that. And um, and I think that in some level he sort of felt bottoming out there a little bit. And then this year he's just uh, he's cut that ground ball rate from 60% every every uh, every month. So he st- last year was 60% uh, for the year. Uh, this year in uh, May, 52%. June, 51%. July, 38%. So. Yes, there's a bit of a leech, uh, lurch forward there at the end to 38%, um, and maybe he'll regress uh, backwards towards 50 But I, I'm hoping that he, he starts to settle in around 45 44%. That's league average uh, ground ball rate. And uh, that, I think, could come with the league average power, which is, is right now. And I'm just saying that I think it's sustainable for a 26-year-old. Going forward, I would call him a 15-15 guy. Um, awesome. And I think it will be good for his batting average. His, his on-base percentage would continue to be plus. And, uh, and 15-15, it's like a latter years Brett Gardner. Um, you know, it's, not, it's still not sexy. It's a lot better than 115, uh, which was yeah. last year. <laughs> it is a and, lot better than 115. I, I think your <laughs> assessment is spot on there. But no, it, it, it's, it's good. It's not sexy like you said. But that doesn't mean it's not good, and I think those guys end up being undervalued. I absolutely love them in OBP leagues, and I think those, you know, really paying attention definitely get that. But uh, even in the OBP leagues I played in, he didn't he didn't get a value spike that I kind of thought he would, because even with that 115 last year, you're still talking about that 362 on base. That's why I liked him so much. I also thought that offense was going to be much better, so I thought a chance uh, for his run scored to kind of skyrocket was there as well. He's at 347 this year. The offense finally getting going in part. 
because of him, and he's up to 68 runs with the nine homers and 11 stolen bases. So I like Adam Eaton a lot. Uh, honestly, you know, there's another name I should mention here because there's a sort of perennial 15-15 guy that did a little bit more than that suddenly, which is Michael Brantley. That's and, exactly you know, what I was going to say, by the way. Yeah, and Michael Brantley did, uh, you know, had his power uh, output, you know, two, three years from now uh, in Adam Eaton years. So, uh, and if you look at, you know, the way Adam Eaton is is structured, um, you know, he could definitely, uh, you know, in terms of contact rate and and nation power and um, finding his his true uh, ground ball rate, and uh, you know, he, he strikes out a little bit more than Brantley, so it's not a perfect comparison, but. Um, I, I think he could be one of these candidates for for a late career, uh, you know, power spike, and uh, maybe even get all the way to sort of 2010 or something. But you know, you know, for the next two three years, I think I would comfortably uh, like him at sort of 15 15. And other 15 15 guys that um, that are out there, you know, there aren't a lot of them really. No, there I was mean, only 15 last year, and once you get beyond the studs of like Trout, Frazier, McCutcheon. Desmond was up there as a stud last year. Carlos Gomez, Rendon, Brantley. Once you start getting down, you're talking about guys like you said, Brett Gardner, uh, Ian Kinsler, Jacoby Ellsbury obviously had way more than 15 stolen bases. But, uh, you know, Drew Stubbs did it last year, which was kind of crazy. Charlie Blackman might be another name that you can kind of think about when you're talking about what 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 can really happen for somebody like an Adam Eaton I don't know that their their skills are terribly far apart and we're seeing Dexter Dexter Fowler I think is a good uh a yes. good comp Adam another, Eaton. another good name and the nice thing uh here is that Adam Eaton is a natural lefty um where Fowler uh, had been hiding the fact that he's better against lefties uh for a long time so Eaton uh has a you know even though technically Fowler has a platoon advantage more often as a switch hitter um, Eaton is better uh, from the left side, whereas Fowler is better from the right side. So, um, yeah, I think that's actually a really good one because, you know, Fowler, we've seen some ups and downs, and, you know, it's a game built on athleticism that, you know, does have some refinement, does have some ability to take a walk, but has been sort of trying to find himself in different situations. Never stole as many bases as we thought his steals, his speed would give us. So, yeah. I, think, I think Fowler is a, is a good. Uh, I think Fowler's a good sort of more baseline one. Brantley is a sort of pie in the sky, you know, what if, you know, possibility for Eaton. That, that's a great call. You know, I think we're going to wrap it up there let you get out to the yard. I'll, I'll put a link to the piece so folks can read it. You can go in detail on, on, on a lot of other guys, too, and, and talk about it. I didn't give you a chance to take your victory lap on Jung Ho Gong, but don't worry. He'll get mentioned at <laughs> least a million more times before the season is out. Love what he's doing. Got to thank you for him. You really got me on his bandwagon, and uh, I started scooping him everywhere in the uh, in, in draft season, and that has paid off brilliantly so um you know have a good have a good time at the yard we'll talk in a couple days yep thanks for listening bye